Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is brought to you by Southwestern Real Estate. Southwestern Real Estate exists to provide career opportunities to those who seek to build a great business with a lifelong focus on excellence and growth. Southwestern agents deliver outstanding service through market expertise, strong negotiation skills, and tools to manage the challenges of real estate transactions. They work to make the home buying and selling process understandable and predictable, helping clients transition smoothly into their next home. Southwestern agents understand the marketplace is best served by agents who are knowledgeable, service-minded, disciplined, emotionally strong, and superior communicators. Visit swrealestate.com if you're considering building a career in real estate or if you'd like one of their top-tier agents to help you buy or sell a home 99% drama-free. Welcome to the Action Catalyst podcast. Today we have Pat Roach with us. Pat is the president of Southwestern Real Estate, and we are so excited to have you, Pat, here on the Action Catalyst. Welcome. I've been looking forward to this. How long have you been with Southwestern now as part of the family of companies? Yeah, I started in, uh, after my sophomore year in college, so it was 1993. So that's about 27 years ago, I guess. Wow, 27 years. That's awesome. Well, before we get into building uh, Southwestern real estate and all that, uh, take us back in a time machine 27 years ago. And what was life like for you? And how did you find Southwestern? And that's always the most interesting story is, is uh, that. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin, about 2,000 people, Clinton, Wisconsin. And um, I went home after freshman year. I was excited to see all my friends, but I knew over the course of that summer, I was going to need to do something else the following year. Uh, Clinton just didn't have enough um, to, to get me where I was trying to go with my life and get some real um, experiences. So I came into sophomore year thinking I'd do something adventurous the following summer. And about February, I got a call from a guy that I knew, um, Jason Grimes. And Jason called me up and he's like, what are you doing next summer? Um, and I said, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. And he's like, well, I had this really crazy job selling books at a, in Michigan last summer. And I made $12,000. And I'm going to go do it again if you want to hear about it. And so that was 1992 right? Where he had made all that money in a summer. And I was just, you know, flabbergasted because I think I made 3000 the summer before. So I was just like, that's nuts. Um, so I was like, okay, working at a bookstore sounds pretty easy and Michigan sounds pretty fun. So I, uh, went to the interview and of course, um, met a guy named Craig Soder who ran the interview. And, uh, what was funny is I got kind of nervous before going over it and, I ended up showing up 45 minutes late just so I could fulfill my obligation to Jason because I said I would show up. <laughs> but really, I was like, getting, I was like, this is going to be something weird. It's got to be. 
but Craig Soda was just getting warmed up. So he, that was not a problem for him. So he kept going with the interview. And I started to realize it wasn't a, a bookstore. It was selling books door to door. Uh, it was 80 hours a week and it was straight commission. But my friend really had been successful. He really was going to go do it again. And I decided, uh, oh, and then they pulled out the books. And I'm like, what? I'm like, we've got those at my house. <laughs> and I, a kid came to our house when I was like a fifth grader and did the pitch and we bought them. And, and I thought, man, my parents didn't buy anything. Like, we didn't have very much money at all. And they did buy those. So I had an image that this could happen. And um, I also met a guy, Todd McWhorter, who was my organizational leader that summer. And Todd had a great history with Southwestern. So I thought, I'm going to go do this thing. So I went out that summer and, um, and uh, it took me about two and a half hours on my first day to start thinking about how do I quit? <laughs> how do oh I get out of here? <laughs> it was two and, was, and a half hours. <laughs> two and a half hours. Now, prior to that first day, I was like, I'm doing this all summer. Nothing, you know, nothing's going to stop me and all that good stuff. Uh, two and a half hours. I remember thinking I'm in Fargo, North Dakota. And I got about $15 left. And I don't know what a bus ticket costs, but it's probably more than that. And, um, <laughs> you know, I just was standing in front of somebody's doorstep who wasn't home. And I was like, well, here we go. Now, I talked myself through that because of the great training that I had received prior to going to sell. I was like, you know what? I'm doing this thing called mental mushrooming right now. They taught me at that I would do this, taking this little moment of time and blowing it up to be this, you know, bigger experience than I could handle. And I was like, let me just talk myself through this. And I, I did. And I ended up, you know, going to the next house and going to the next house. And I sold something that day and that felt strange. Um, and it was <laughs> enough to go, well, I got to go do it again tomorrow. And week by week, I did a little better, a little better. Um, and then uh, started to get the hang of it. And I sold as much in the last three and a half weeks as I did in the first eight weeks. Um, wow. Ended up making about 16000 for the summer and finished, I think, number six out of the first years. And, um, and they invited me back. And uh, Todd, the guy who I respected the most in the group, was put his arm around me and took me for a little walk. He's like, yeah, we're talking to people that like to come back. And we think you'd be a good manager to help lead some people, help them have a good summer. And I looked at him and I was like, hell no. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, what? And, I was, and he, mind you, he was on like his ninth summer. Todd had traveled around the world. He used it to fill up his bank account every year. It was like a great thing for him. He did grad school, just paid for everything by this three month summer job. So anyway, the strange thing was, is, the reason I reacted that way is because all when the job was as hard as it was, the way I would keep going was to just go, all you got to do is finish this summer. You can hold your head high. You can feel good about who you are. You don't ever have to do it again. That'll be fine. Um, but the weird thing was when I said it to Todd, um, it didn't sound as legitimate as it had been all in my mind, you know? And, uh, Literally, I don't know what he went on talking about after that because I was all in my head and I really felt like one of those moments where God was like reaching through, you know, to, to, to grab me 
uh, I felt this sense of like, of course you could complete this thing you set out to do because your parents never let you quit any of the things you tried before. Mm. But you're going to have to do some things in life and you're going to know how scared you are and you're still going to have to choose them. And that's what this is about. And five minutes later, I was like, all right, Todd, I'll do it. And um, that began a career of uh, several summers as a college student um, selling books. But then also I got a chance to learn how to recruit a team and, and lead them through this really significant experience, which was a different thing altogether. Um, well, yeah. tell us about that. So you ended up achieving a, a milestone that very few people at Southwestern Advantage ever achieve. To become a district sales leader is just incredible. And we've had over 100,000 people go through the program over the past 160 years. And very, very few uh, are strong enough leaders to truly grow their organization volume to, to have that distinction. So tell us about what that was like to actually reach the that milestone and to become a, a district sales leader and to lead an amazing group of people. Um, you had some of the top producers in the all time history of our company as part of your group. So, yeah, you know, that was so Craig Soder, who again was the guy that recruited me and was my sales manager and my director. You know, he'd always talk to me about what a great career it was to lead college students and help them have this life experience. And, and I believed that, but I also looked at his schedule and he was a road warrior, you know, and I was just kind of like, man, I don't know if that's for me. Um, but then I graduated from school and I remember, you know, thinking, man, I was walking through graduation thinking, I don't want to teach. I don't know what I want to do, but my degree was for teaching. So I was like, well, I guess I'll go sell books for the summer and then fill up my bank account and then I'll figure it out from there. Um, and when I got done with that summer, I started interviewing at several different places, different industries. And every interview I did they were pretty interested in me and it was all because of my Southwestern experience, you know, that really showed I could do some things that not everybody coming out of college could demonstrate as, you know, there's talented people out there, but if you can't demonstrate it through your past experience, you know, it's a different thing. So I, uh, so I remember thinking, wow, this is really interesting. Now that I know one, I can actually get a job. Like now that that barrier has been met, now I can actually consider, well, what do I want the product of my work to be? Do I want it to be selling advertising? Do I want it to be financial planning for people? Do what, you know, these different things I'd interviewed for selling office products, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I, I just kept coming back to this idea that Craig's, the product that Craig was was the product of his work was college kids going through this life-changing experience. And I thought, man, cause you know, when you spend as much time working as we all do in this country, you can kind of say, um, it's not, it doesn't, your, your, your job title doesn't define you. And at the same time, what you spend your days doing is kind of like what your life is about. Mm. And I just thought, if my life was about helping college kids get that in their life, that would be a life well spent. So I decided to go ahead and pursue the sales manager route. Um, but what 
a lot of my friends were like, Hey, I thought you didn't want to be on the road all the time and things like that. And I'm like, man, I've got like 15 people in my group. We're not that spread out. Like maybe someday I won't be able to do it, you know, but I bet you I could make a good run at it. And if I only do it for 10 years, then it'll be a good 10 years. Um, and what's interesting is that's about what my sales manager career turned out to be. I, I had a great 10 year run. And then I, when we had our third child, I really was on the road too much. And I just decided, you know what, I got to make a change. And I, I, it was a, it was a hard, hard decision because I love that work so much, but um, and the students and the, and the impact of that, of that role is like none other. It's, it's awesome. Um, so when I got to the end of that time, uh, I went into my director at the time and, and said, Hey, I, that's it. I'm, I'm going to make a change. This was about 2005. So I essentially, uh, you know, if you'll remember 2005, um, you could do just about anything in real estate and it would, you know, be, you know, profitable. So I've been investing in different real estate projects uh, with uh, guys I used to sell books with, and we were making good money at it. And it was just a side investment thing. It was your organizational leader, right? Yeah, Todd, the guy that... <laughs> yeah, so your org leader said, hey, invest in all these things. Yeah, yeah. so we were like <laughs> investing in all these real estate things, and it was all working out. And several of my other buddies, Kevin Kalam, Matt Llewellyn, Brent Gravy, we were all doing this together. It was super fun. Um, but then... Uh, you know, I thought, well, if I'm going to change careers, um, I think I should probably start flipping houses. Um, that seems like an easy way to make money, too. So I uh, started, took out a big line of credit on my house, about 200 grand, and uh, flipped a house. And I was in the middle of that when I came in to, to resign. And, you know, they didn't want me to leave quite yet, so they sent me to the next person up and uh, then the next person up. And then eventually I got to Henry Bedford who was CEO at the time. And uh, we had just had a great conversation. Henry's kids had worked in my group as a sales manager. So we knew each other pretty well. And I said, um, I told him what I was going to do and, or that I, I felt like I needed to transition. He said, well, what, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I'm flipping a house right now. And, and I think, you know, if that works out, I think I could probably make uh, a living at it. I'll just take it from there and see what happens. And he said, oh, you want to be in real estate? Well, we want to be in real estate. And I was like, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, why don't we start a real estate company together? And I was like, well, what would you have in mind? And he's like, well, a ton of our students have gone from selling books to great success selling houses. And uh, so why don't we start a real estate brokerage that we could scale nationally and um, you could help us start it? And I said... And I was thinking, well, he clearly didn't hear me because I said, I'm flipping houses. That's a totally different thing. And I was like, so you'd want me to be a realtor, huh? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, Henry, I got to tell you, I only know two realtors and they're both older ladies. And <laughs> I like the, the, the culture that I'm coming from of like college kids stepping out of their comfort zone and really getting scared and overcoming and success. Like... Uh, that didn't look like what I saw in them. And so I just was like, I don't know if that's me. And so I was like, I'll think about it. And I had one of those moments in life where I thought, 
I said the words, I'll think about it. And in my head, I was like, I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> um, so that's, so I left Nashville to go home and I was like, man, this is really sad because I'm probably never going to be back here again. And this is really a sad day for me. Um, so I got back home, uh, kept flipping houses, making less and less and losing money. And uh, the market was crashing. And uh, I was looking at this whole thing and I'm like, man, I'm risking a ton of money here and I'm losing. But every time I buy and sell, the realtor gets paid. I'm like, I got to figure that part out. Like th that seems really attractive right now. Um, all my investments out West with my book uh, buddies were starting to go sideways. Um, it was getting pretty scary. And I was living off of a, that $200,000 line of credit, which was getting lower and lower over time. Oh, oh man. Um, it even got to where I was like looking for, you know, 0% credit cards, trying to see what I could do to float these different projects. My buddies out West started to go bankrupt one by one. Uh, uh, not all of them, not necessarily all the folks I named before, uh, but just different people I was in business with were going bankrupt and I'd be left holding the properties, which of course weren't worth what the mortgages were. Wow. And I didn't know what else to do, but I just, in my mind, I thought, well, foreclosure is the worst thing you can do because it'll kill your credit and, the stigma, it was just like, I was an uninformed investor, you know, I'm just thinking, I don't know what to do here. And uh, I would just throw good money at these bad projects, one after the other, trying to avoid a foreclosure. I had a sixplex in Laramie, Wyoming that I'd never even seen that my partners went out and I'm throwing money at this thing and I don't even know who lives there or who's managing it. Or oh my God. It was so scary. And uh, so this was all going and, uh, speculative just, investments. There's a reason they call it speculative. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, I just was yeah. feeling more and more desperate. And, um, and I was trying to get financing for a flip in my hometown here. And I was sitting with the president of the bank who I knew socially, and he was a really good guy. And we were just talking and I was, I just happened to mention, yeah, when I left Southwestern, they uh, proposed this idea of starting a real estate company. And um, yeah, and I didn't think it really sounded like something I'd want to do. But uh, he said, Pat, you're telling me that there's a company that's willing to invest in you to start a company? Um, and I was like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, listen, you want to do that. He said, somebody gave me an opportunity like that right out of MBA school. The company failed, but was the single best learning experience of my life. And I owe a debt of gratitude to them for everything that I got a chance to learn through that. You really need to think about it. Mm. And so I started interviewing as many people as I knew that were affiliated with either the mortgage industry or the real estate industry. Um, I started to work towards getting my real estate license. And um, it just so happened that because the market was crashing so bad, um, Illinois introduced a new opportunity where you could become a licensed agent and a managing broker of your own office on the first day, as long as you passed all the licensing requirements. So all of a sudden I started to kind of go, I think there's something here. And I also heard about this guy, uh, Brian Buffini, who coaches a ton of, you know, real estate people. And it was kind of a simple step-by-step -step method. 
uh, on how to do real estate. And I was like, I'll go check out this weekend course and see if I can figure out how to do it. <laughs> like, so I called Henry back uh, and I was like, Henry, look, I've, I've been getting this license and I've been thinking a lot about this and I, I don't want to just do real estate, but because all the interviews that I'd done at other market or other real estate offices, I would go in and talk to these managing brokers and I would just go, man, super nice people really knowledgeable, caring, warm. And I would just kind of look around the office and I just kind of had this feeling like this doesn't feel like Southwestern. Like it doesn't feel like what I knew when I was selling books, like the best organizations I've been a part of where everybody was like a team kind of thing. Like we were all rooting for each other. We were all competing against each other and rooting for each other. And it was so supportive. And I kind of saw just a bunch of free agents who were hanging around an office and a lot of them didn't seem like they had a whole lot going on. And I just thought, I don't want to do that. But if I could build a real estate company that was filled with Southwestern people, that's something I would want to do. So it turns out there's this little opportunity in Illinois uh, that if we want to start it here, we can. And Henry was like, that sounds great. You're the president. Let's start. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, let's just go for it. Just send me a budget and we'll get going. And I was like, a budget? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I don't know how to do that. And he was like, oh, don't worry. We got people who can help you with that. Just, you know, let us know how much you need to get paid and we'll get you going. So here's what was kind of crazy. Because things had been going so poorly with all my investment stuff, I was like, so you're going to put me on salary? He said, yeah, I'll put you on salary until your commissions exceed what we're paying you, and then we'll switch you over to commission. And it's an investment on our part towards you, and at the same time, we'll want to recapture that down the road, but it's not a draw. It's just we're going to do this together as a business venture. And I was like, okay. And then he said, you know, so we figured out what I got paid when I was a sales manager. He said, let's just do that. And I was like, that's amazing. He said, well, let's get you going for the um, May 1st. No, it was, he said, we'll get you on the March 15th payroll. And I, it was like the last week in February. And I was like, is there any way we could do that March 1st? Uh, he goes, well, it's kind of short notice. And I was like, he goes, we could probably do it. And the truth of the matter was I didn't have any credit, any, any line of credit, any uh, access to cash to bridge the gap to get to the 15th of March. That's how desperate I had gotten. Um, And he was able to get me a paycheck at a time where I didn't know where I was going to be able to get through that. Um, These were some pretty dark days. This was a time where people were doing a thing called a mortgage modification. Um, And we had consulted with some bankruptcy attorneys who said, well, why don't you try modifying your mortgage first? And uh, they introduced me to a guy who said, okay, stop paying your mortgage and because uh, that'll get the bank's attention. And then we'll do this modification. We've done it for hundreds of people. And, um, and we were like, really, this is what we're going to do here. So, so we did it. And um, he was working on it, working on it, working on it. And then he came back and said, hey, I'm really sorry, but the investor who actually owns the note is not participating 
in modifications. And I'm like, well, what's that mean? He said, well, you can't do a modification. I'm like, but we've not been paying our mortgage for months at your advice. It's like, yeah, this is unusual, but that's what it is. So that's how we were starting Southwestern Real Estate. Um, now, I had to pause after Henry was so generous with me, and, and I came back to him like a couple days later, and I was like, hey, you should probably know what my situation is before we get into business together and kind of spilled my guts. And he was like, well, I'm glad you told me and keep me in the loop with that. And we'll see if we can help you figure out a way to deal with all this. Wow. So it was pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Okay. So you're on the brink of bankruptcy. You're, you're rock bottom. You're, you're getting started with Southwestern real estate. And, And let's fast forward to where we are now. So sure. you're you're the president of a of a multi million dollar real estate business. You've got tell us about the size of your team and and how it's growing and and uh, tell us a little bit about your lifestyle now. I, I think that's a fun thing to compare to where and contrast where you were you know on your own and and trying to figure this out and, and almost bankrupt. And now what is the lifestyle like being a leader at the Southwestern family of companies? Yeah. Um, okay. So, so Henry and I got started together and, and we would meet and talk about how to build this thing. And neither of us really knew what we were doing, um, which is why that managing brokers, you know, day one thing doesn't exist anymore in Illinois because it's a terrible idea, but it you know, served our purposes. So we got it going, but Henry told me a couple of things early on that helped a ton. One, he was like, he was like, look, Pat, the most important thing you can do is get your personal sales to a high level right now and just get the fundamentals down so that we can then put somebody behind you and you can just show them the track to run on. And we'll just teach those fundamentals to the next person. And so he said, I know you're going to want to go start the world on fire and just, you know, recruit everybody that's good and that you come across. And we don't want to do that. He said, we've been doing this thing for over 150 years. What we really want to do is build a company for the next generation. So that means let's make sure we start it right. And uh, that just took all the pressure off of me to have to do anything other than learn how to sell a lot of houses. You know, what does it take to do that? So I started getting my personal sales up. It took about three. Now, keep in mind, this was 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, the market was going down all the way to 2012 before it flattened out. And uh, my business kept growing in my personal sales. And after a few years, uh, an alum of Southwestern Advantage called me. Her name's Sarah Goss. And she's like, hey, I live out in Sugar Grove, which is, you know, end of the earth in, in Illinois here, about 45 minutes west of me. She's like, my youngest is getting ready to be in kindergarten, and I got to get back into selling. And um, she did five summers selling books, full-time recruited, full package. I mean, Sarah is the full package. So she basically recruited herself. <laughs> and as much fun as I was having selling real estate, as soon as I got a chance to work with her, I was like, oh man, this is way more fun. And then it kind of made me go, what if we added another person? What would that be like? Um, my business was growing to the point where actually I couldn't even keep up with it because I was starting to miss my kids' games. 
I was starting to miss dinner at home or whatever, all the stuff that I wanted in the first place, you know? Wait a minute. You're telling me those things when you were a DSL were the same when you were leading another business? Hmm. <laughs> Funny how that works. Funny how it works. Being a leader is being a leader. That's right. <laughs> so I was like getting so much business. I was like, and I had to do it all myself. So I called Southwestern. I was like, hey, I'm ready to hire somebody to help me with my clients. So they sent uh, two different people because Sarah needed somebody and I needed somebody. So we hired um, Holland Haynes and, and Jessica Wilson to come up here and be apprentices for us. Um, I had hired one other guy before that, Carl Cho, and he helped me as well. And basically, I said, here's what I'll do. I'll pay you a salary to help me. Um, and I'm also going to teach you how to build your own business. And at some point, we'll just graduate you. Okay, but this money is here to help you survive starting real estate because it's hard when you, it takes a while to get some clients. So we'll get you a salary and you're going to help me and we're not counting hours and we're, it doesn't matter what time. It's just all in because that's kind of how the job can be sometimes. Um, but in exchange for that, I will mentor you so you can build your business because my thinking was this. There are traditional models within real estate where you can build up a buyer's agent and then eventually um, a listing agent all on your team and you kind of control it and keep it. But I'm thinking the types of people who work at Southwestern Advantage do not want to be somebody's team member, right? They want to be the rainmaker. They go, they want to go, I will work for cheap and I will work really hard for mentorship in exchange so that I can be a rainmaker in the future and have my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that birthed what we call the apprentice model, where we bring people in. And what it also allows us to do is pass the fundamentals one-to-one, -one, pass the culture one-to-one, -one, and it just keeps getting handed down as the next generation of apprentices graduate, become top producers, need their own apprentices, and they pass that same stuff again, mm -hmm. just in the way they learned it. And so... That's kind of how things developed. Eventually, we, I met a guy, Mark Fuller in Houston, who was with a, a, another brokerage. And uh, when he got a chance to learn about our culture, he was like, he was the number one guy at his office in a very successful brokerage. And he was 55. And he was like, I'll quit and, and start the Houston office with you guys. And I'm thinking... He was very comfortable. He did not need to do that, but he did. He stepped away and it was because he kind of got the vibe of what Southwestern's all about. And uh, so we started putting Southwestern Advantage alums around him who wanted to go into real estate. He eventually trained somebody up, Josh Simmons, to go start our Dallas office. Um, eventually we were able to start an office in Nashville, in Miami, um, with uh, different folks. We've got an office in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then this year, we actually started uh, our first international office in Monterrey, Mexico, um, with an alum of Southwestern who got all the summers he could get before his visa was denied. And, uh, and one of our new recruits, um, who's in her first year, Maribel came to me and she's like, hey, would you ever want to do something in Mexico? And I was like, I don't know anything about it, but yes. And uh, she's like, well, then you need to talk to Pepe. 
Pepe Ramirez was already trying to figure out real estate in Mexico where there's no licensing, there's no boards, there's no regulation. Um, and I reached out to him just to see what kind of guy was this? You know, I knew he had a good track record with Southwestern Advantage, but what kind of person was he? And all he kept saying was, I know I could keep doing this on my own, but I would much rather do, I'd rather build a business with Southwestern. Mm. Um, same kind of thing that I was drawn to. And that told me where his heart was. And, um, you know, we just, we just keep going. Right now we're in talks with a couple of folks in Estonia because uh, we have so many students from Europe that have come over to participate with Southwestern Advantage. It just makes sense that when those kids go back home, we should be uh, giving them future employment opportunities and real estate's a great industry for them to be in. Wow. Southwestern Real Estate International. And That's right. it, 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 what's great is the, the way that you go about the business of doing things uh, the right way, um, focused on the fundamentals, focused on building people. And, you know, in Mexico and in Estonia, they don't really have the same regulations that they have here in America. However, in, in the United States, you will find people still doing things that aren't <laughs> the most ethical and honest. But your standards and what you're wanting to bring to the international community is so inspiring. As Southwestern real estate can lead the world in teaching realtors and professional real estate professionals on um, the standards and how to do things ethically, honestly, and without shortcuts. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, we're at the front end of that adventure, so I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll be it'll be cool. And then you know, the best part is um, when I have my coaching calls with Pepe, like the people we have hired are people that are actually fun to talk to. Mm-hmm. Like even if I'm not feeling it. All I have to do is get on WhatsApp with him. And within five minutes, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm having this conversation with him. It's just awesome. And that's, that's the thing that we've built around this is every person we bring in, we make them go through a, a five-step interview process to really slow that thing down so we can kind of get to know, if this person comes in, are they going to make our culture better or potentially disrupt what we already have? And uh, that's worth everything. So taking that extra time, be willing to say, maybe it's not a good fit is huge. But the people that we end up attracting are so, it just makes my life better. And uh, I hope that we're doing the same for them. Wow. Well, and for our listeners in the real estate industry, uh, the normal turnover or churn is about 90%. And usually their interview process is, do you have a pulse? Okay, you're hired. And for what Pat has created with Southwestern Real Estate and being able to have this interview process, uh, what, what is your uh, turnover, Pat? Is uh, It's the reverse, right? What, what are we at now? Yeah, so we actually retain 90% of our agents year over year. Wow. Um, and, you know, there's different reasons why we do lose a few. Um, some we were like, that was a bad hire. We should not have done that. Some it's, you know, people want to pursue a dream, you know, of whatever else. And that's fine. Um, but most of the people are coming here and are staying and are, they have a vision for building a great business and they're surrounded by people that they want to be surrounded by. So, uh, it was cool. I'll just share this little anecdote. I got an email yesterday from an agent locally 
who works at a big national brand. And she was like, you know, we've always liked you and the different people we come in contact with, with your team and uh, your, your office or whatever. And, and uh, we'd love to introduce you to our managing broker because, you know, we think there's a great opportunity here, the technology we have and blah, blah, blah. So I just sent a little three paragraph thing, tell them, you know, how I started selling books door to door. And then I got invited to start this company and how we're all really excited about what we're building and, and couldn't be happier to be Southwestern real estate, essentially. Like basically I'm unrecruitable, you know? Um, and she had attached her managing broker to the whole thing. He wrote me a really long email and in it, one of the lines that stood out to me, he said, I've gotten a similar response from several other agents in your office. And I thought, that's cool. Like, they're, you know, you can't, you'd be stupid to think they're not going to get, you know, recruiting calls, right? But the recruiting calls they made to them ended with, I just love what we're about and I want to stay here. And it doesn't matter what your technology is that might be better. It doesn't matter if you want to pay me to come over. Uh, I want, you know, a person's long-term satisfaction with their career is more than the money they're going to make. It's the culture that they get to be a part of mm. and the friendships that they get to forge over time. And the money's a, an important detail in that process, but it's not, uh, it's, it, that was a hard, that was a surprising lesson for me to learn when, when starting a business, thinking that the money would have to be superior to any other option um, in order for people to want to do it. But once I stopped thinking that way and started thinking, what really brings satisfaction? Shaping the company became a very different thing. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. Culture is actually the number one thing people care about, especially the younger generation. You got the millennials and now Generation Z. They care about impact. And they will do a, a job where... The you know the 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 pay needs to be comparable, but it doesn't have to be the the craziest thing out there. As long as what they're doing is making a difference in the world, uh, you know that that drives it forward, and and also having fun. So a culture where they're actually feeling fulfilled, and uh, man, that's yeah. a great testimonial, <laughs> Pat. Where people are getting phone calls being recruited, and their response is, "I don't have a number. I'm I'm exactly where I should be." And thank you very much. And I, I think that is just a great testimony to the culture that you've created. Yeah, thank you. This guy, Don Hampton, uh, we had him speak. Don used to work for a, a ministry organization, Awana. Like everybody probably heard of Awana. It's a kid's thing, kid's uh, church group thing. And he was doing marketing for them. And he, and he uh, ended up having to get laid off at one point. And then he was unemployed for all these years and, and uh, he was sending out, he did 700 job applications and he did over 70 interviews during his time of being laid off. Um, and he would send out these prayer request emails and that were heartbreaking. And I just eventually I couldn't take it anymore. And I had to sit down with them I'm like, Don, people like you, you care about people. I can teach you how to be successful in real estate. Just come work with me. So he became my apprentice. Well, I t- he stood up at our, our kickoff meeting in January because the guy is crushing it. And um, 
And he gave this testimony. He's like, I was so honored the first time another brokerage called to try to recruit me. I couldn't believe that they saw my track record and they said, this is a guy we want to go after. And when they called, one of the very first things they started to talk about was the pay plan that they were offering. And I knew right then that that was not the place for me. Because if you're leading with pay plan, then that's the best thing you have to offer. And that's not what brings long-term satisfaction. And to hear someone else say that was just like, wow, that it was, it was, it, it blew me away. It was, it was a great honor to hear that. Man, that is, that is a great, uh, actually that's a great closing note. We we've been talking about everything from culture to, uh, uh, good investments and bad investments. And in our, uh, last, last thought here, you know, I think there's a lot of things that you have shared had about, um, being able to relate to the audience that's out there right now. And if you're thinking, if I have one piece of advice for somebody, let's relate to the person who's out there and, you know, maybe they're also at rock bottom and they've made some bad investments, uh, whether it was a friend saying, Hey, get into these things that are, that are going South or somebody that just doesn't really have a clear vision for their life. Uh, regardless of the situation, if somebody needs to redefine possible for their life, what advice would you give them? So I think one of the things that is a part of my life now that is a, a, a direct result of the trauma that I went through during those times, like you have to keep in mind, my house ended up being in the foreclosure process for five years. Because what I learned is if you're doing a loan modification and they say, no, if you reapply, they just keep it going. Like they just keep it going. And I had five years in the foreclosure process um, before they sent a, a notice of a sheriff's sale, like we're going to sell your house. Um, now it all turned out with a very happy ending. I still own my house and I live in it and I'm current and I uh, have a very small mortgage now and that's pretty cool. Uh, but when you live with that for five years, the weight of it, um, it just kind of, it never leaves you. Um, to the point where I was really emotional. I remember working out one time and almost started crying, just thinking about them showing up to take my house or something, you know? So, so I think there's this, there's this thing that we all know just as a part of the human race, that suffering is a part of life. And what I want to do every day is reconnect with um, whatever it is that centers me. Um, you know, I would consider myself a, a contemplative person and it's really critical for me to actually reconnect with my most centering concepts every single day, because, um, when it all goes South, you have to know what's underneath it all. Like we can't, when you're doing well and everything's coming up roses and you know, you're crushing it and the market's good and it's just flowing like nothing. Well, okay, if you don't know what you're all about, you can kind of still feel happy because you got all this good stuff going on. It's like sugar, right? But sugar, you can't sustain yourself on sugar and markets are going to turn and things are going to happen and people are going to do things to you that are unfair and, and stuff's going to go wrong. Um, 
in those times, you kind of have, you have to really know what's holding it all up. Mm. And I want to try to connect with that every single day. Um, because then you have a, you have a bedrock that you can build off of. Um, and it also means that that bedrock needs to recognize if it all goes to crap, um, there's, that doesn't mean that life isn't worth living. It doesn't mean God is bad, right? It doesn't mean you're abandoned. Um, but you have to kind of know what that's all about. And one of the uh, mantras that I uh, try to capture every day is this notion that, um, you know, whether people believe this or not, I don't, you know, they can just take the good or the bad with it. Um, but I do think that, uh, it, that God created what we all see around us. And I also think that the creation is a reflection of its creator. And I think that if I can capture that as a part of my bedrock every morning, um, then keep in mind that isn't just the beautiful nature, right? It's actually the people in that nature as well. And if I can see that person, um, you know, like when I come out of my workout, there's this class of uh, folks who have learning disabilities, it's not learning disabilities, it's like uh, Down syndrome and different, you know, conditions that are similar to that. And I'm always coming out of my workout when they're going into their class. And I always want to turn, I always turn off my headphones so that I can try to make a connection with as many of the young adults that are in that class as possible. And I want to see them and I want to see this is a reflection of God. So what is before me? What can I know about them? And what can I know about their creator that in this moment? And, uh, and whether I can make a connection with them or not, because it's kind of you know iffy as to whether they're certainly open to connecting or not. But the idea is like, Capturing that essence of life is probably um, a result of having gone through all of that horrible stuff for all those years. And, and thankfully, it went on for as many years as it did, because I don't think I would have learned it if it was a quick, you know, process. So whatever. It might be rambling now, but. I love it. You, you learned how to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, well, and and knowing that uh, higher calling, the higher value of what God has created, is way more important than any you know financial situation that you might be in, and that that is uh, that's awesome. Yeah, love it. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, gosh, talk about a open, transparent conversation. We, I, I appreciate, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate you opening up your, your heart and sharing all that with us. This has been such a great uh, session and really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. It was truly an honor. I have fantasized about being on this show because I listened to it enough that I'm like, man, what would I say if I was on there? Now I guess I know. (laughs) You did well. You did well. (laughs) If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.